I forgot to clean up and change things around. So while I do that, I will tell you a little more about EHR. It's okay. Also, did you guys notice that the Fontaine's uh, Bible study thing had like a bunch of cows in the background? What was that all about? I don't even know. It was pretty, but were you guys like say you were inviting cows to come? What I don't, I don't know what that's about. It was what was that? Oh, the cow version of Psalm 23. Okay, that makes more sense. That's good. I was just a little confused. All right, so EH. EHR, what it is, it's a, it's a second part of a class, um, which we call EH Discipleship. So there's emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy relationships. And here's how I like to talk about it. Jesus gave us a, a big command, right? To love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. That's the first one. And churches do a pretty good job of trying to teach people how to love God. We teach you how to pray, teach you how to worship, we teach you God's word, we teach you how much God loves you, and in response, we, we start to love God. It's harder than you would think to love God well, right? It's harder than you would think. And then there's the second half of Jesus' command, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Many churches stop at love the Lord your God, and they don't get to the practical of love your neighbor as yourself. And we just put that in the world of evangelism. Hey, when you do a car wash for single moms, you're loving your neighbor as yourself. And yes, you are. But what about the neighbor that is closest to you, your husband or wife, your children, your parents, what about your actual physical next door neighbors? How about people that, that you don't get along with real well? Jesus even later on says to love your enemy as yourself. So how are we even supposed to do that? That's what EHR is all about. It's about building some skills that help us actually love our neighbor as ourself. Helps us uh, say what we're thinking and to be honest and truthful and to dig into the material of our life to find out how we relate to one another in a very broken way, like we're operating from a different system than the new family of Jesus. So that's what EHR is all about. It is a great class, eight weeks, highly recommended. Whether you took the first one or not, it's gonna be super good. Now there is some confusion because it said on the screen Tuesdays and Heidi said Wednesdays. Yeah, and you wanna know what's even worse? I don't know which day it actually is because my calendar is in the office in my bag, and I got a calendar that starts on a different day. You know, you usually start on Sundays through Saturdays. Mine starts on Monday now, and it's just, I don't even know what day it is. So I'm gonna figure that out, and we'll let you know <laughs> very soon. <laughs> what day do you want it to be? Anybody? I think it's Tuesdays, because Bible study doesn't That's what it is. So it's Tuesdays, not Wednesdays. Okay, Tuesdays, we just figured it out. There you go. Got it? Tuesdays. Let's everybody just say Tuesdays so we're awake. Tuesdays. Come join me. It's going to be awesome. It's one of my favorite things that I do as a pastor. <clears throat> All right, you ready? You're going to love this. We are finishing our series in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. You want to open your Bibles there because I want to read the first line of it right now. This is so exciting. Finally. That's it. That's all I wanted to read. Finally, you know, isn't that a great way to start, a, to start a, 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 a sermon? Finally. And many of you are probably saying, finally. <laughs> like, he's done. Finally. They got through it. They got through this book. It was only, it's only about, what, six pages, five pages of the Bible. And we have spent, this is, I believe, week 10 in going through this and looking at it, taking not just a deep dive, but looking at what Paul was actually saying to the people of Ephesus and what it means for us today. And it's been a fabulous series. 
Uh, and we're going to get down to some real nitty-gritty and a passage that is very, very uh, familiar to many of us. But it starts with this word, finally. So when an author says, finally, you think, okay, they're wrapping this thing up. If you actually look at the physical you know, page in the Bible, there is two, maybe three paragraphs left in the whole book. So finally works out right here. But when a pastor says, finally, do you guys know what that means? I heard multiple things. What did I hear? Two hours. I heard two hours. He's going to go on forever. Yeah, yeah. Finally, and now there's going to be another three weeks. So that's not what's going to happen today. We are actually going to end it with this word, finally. So while my favorite word in the Bible is but, you know, but for the grace of God, but Jesus, those things, I love that word. Yours is probably finally today. So we're going to look at this chapter, and I want to just read it to you. Let's start just by reading the passage together. <clears throat> Uh, Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten on the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take on the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always preserve in supplication for the saints. Pray also for me that I may speak. A message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. God, I pray that uh, these words would come alive to us again today. Father, uh, these words are super familiar, and we've heard many, many sermons on them if we've been in the church. And so, God, I pray that we would be able to suspend for just a moment all of the things that we've heard and learned about this passage and all of the ways in which we've used this passage so that we can stand and hear what it is that you would like to speak to us today. God, may the places that have become overly familiar, may they become strange to us again. And may the ways in which Paul was challenging the Ephesians challenge us again today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <coughs> I am got some stuff going on in my throat. Hold on a second. All right. So the whole book of Ephesians, real fast. Two big keys that you need to have in your, in your pocket to understand this book. And this is a part of why we've been doing this series in the way we have, because we want you to be able to, in three months from now, pull out your Bible and be like, hey, I'm going to read the book of Ephesians. I've really liked that book, so I'm going to go back and read it, and that's what I want to read for my devotions. And we want you to be able to do that and understand the book, right? So the two big constructs that Paul is using, number one is this, is the two kingdom mentality, right? We drew it out last week, and we drew it out on a board that there is, there is this age, 
right? And then there is the age to come. There is the world we live in now, the way we see things now in which there is death and destruction and brokenness and slavery and hurt and deception and lies. And then there's this other kingdom that Jesus inaugurated. Jesus brought in and it's invading, right? And he's bringing goodness and truth and beauty and life and hope and peace. We as followers of Jesus live in this second kingdom, but we've got a foot in both worlds, right? So his entire book has always been balancing these two. You have darkness and life, death, darkness and light, death and life, and, and all these uh, back and forth contrasts. So you have these two pieces. That's number one that you need to remember about this book. Number two, Paul's big thrust of this whole book is unity, right? Unity in the church that we might be one. He's echoing Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. He says, Father, I ask that they might be one as you and I are one. So just as Jesus and God are like connected entirely and perfectly, Jesus wants that for you and me. Not just for husbands and wives, but for people across the aisle from one another and people on different, with different political ideas. He wants them to be united in Christ. And that's why Paul says things like, there is no Jew, no Gentile, no Greek, no Hebrew, no male, no female, no slave, no free. We are all one in Jesus. The, the playing field has been leveled, right? There's not better people and lesser people. There's not rich people and poor people. We are all one in Christ. So you take those two things and you carry them into this very last passage where Paul is literally wrapping things up. And he has been like, he just peppered this thing with all of these themes that are just tied up in there, like how we think about time now and the new kingdom of God and the new family of Jesus. It's wrapped up in here. All these little pieces are tied up in this thing. And he says, look, now don't forget, we've come to this place of unity. And so what we want you to do is to bear with one another and hold each other up. Sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Y'all do this together. Y'all give thanks in all circumstances. Y'all live differently because you have a different value system now than this present age, in the age to come, in the age that Jesus is bringing, in the now but not yet. You look differently, you act differently, and you live as Christ in this world. So you have these two big ideas, and especially this two-kingdom idea. And... When you just think about it from a, a piece of paper setting, right, just, to, just thinking about the, the two sides of things, you saw that everything was opposite. So the one side had darkness, the other side had light. One side had life or death, and the other side had life. And you see that they're just, they're just opposed to one another, right? They're, they're, they're completely against one another. And this is the, Paul, the, the reality that Paul wants us to get into our brains, that because these two kingdoms are in play, and because the playing field has been leveled, there is now a war going on for the hearts and minds and souls and spirits of the believers in Christ. You can kind of imagine, Paul, because he ends this, this little chapter here with, uh, he says that I may have a message that I can speak boldly for which I am ambassador in chains. You know, he is under house arrest for preaching the gospel. And he has been physically arrested by the Romans, and he is in house arrest. So every day, as he is sitting here dictating this, this writing, this six chapters, and working through all the pieces, and working with his, his scribe who is writing everything down, there is a Roman soldier standing at the door, right? He's guarding him, and he's looking out there, and he sees this guy standing there in his whole Roman soldier armor. He's got the shield, he's got a spear, he's got a sword on his side, and he's staring at him, and he's saying, 
the kingdom of God is at war. There's this physical representation of it right here. I am in chains for Christ. But he also knows that there is a war that is even bigger than that. And so he wants to talk about spiritual warfare for a little bit. There is a spiritual conflict going on around you right now. And I kind of don't like talking about this because I know that in the culture that I grew up in, the church that I grew up in, when we started talking about spiritual warfare, we had a certain mindset about what was actually going on. Uh, there's this line in here that says, this present darkness, right? It says that our, our, our war is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Now, when I was in high school, there was a book called This Present Darkness, and it was all about the spiritual reality that was beyond what we could see. And it was all about these demons that were flapping around, and they're like generally wishing evil on people, and they're giving them the evil eye, and they're poking and prodding humanity, making them sick, making them do things they wouldn't normally do. And, and sometimes, you know, there's like actively harming them and then even going so far as to possess them, okay? Now, that stuff happens. There's, there is the reality of demon possession and things like that. I've seen it in the world. Uh, it is the most terrifying thing. You don't ever want to encounter it if you can ever avoid it. But it is true that it exists. But this is not what Paul is even talking about. So our mind goes to this spiritual warfare where we're praying against demons and we're praying against principalities and powers and all this stuff, and we're imagining these demons fluttering around doing all these evil things in the world. But Paul is actually talking about something radically different. Paul's idea of principalities and powers and and authorities is really about the power structures of our world. I don't think any of us can deny that sometimes life sucks, right? Is that true? Sometimes life is just hard, right? And just like I talked about the EHS and EHR, we often operate out of a place of, of, of um, brokenness. We live our lives in relationship to one another from what our parents taught us. So when we argue, we find, especially the older we get, the more we sound like our dad, right? The more we sound like our mom. If, if mom was, was the big one in the family and loud and, and you get in an argument, you either shut down because mom's the one that's going to be always right, or you get really big because that's how mom taught you how to argue. And it's, somebody's got to win. This is just one example of a power structure that we are taught. But our world is filled with these power structures. In Paul's day, there was a power structure of slavery, that there was owners and there were slaves. There was a culture of honor and shame that if you were somebody of wealth and of power, then everybody had to treat you with honor, and that if you were less than them, then you were, you were treated with actual shame. There was a culture of economic structures that systematically took advantage of the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of other people. These are the power structures that Paul is talking about, and he says they're cosmic. He says, this is a universal thing that's going on right now. And when he's using the word cosmic, he's actually talking about chaos that is grabbing at people and at their lives. Now, the power structures in our day are a little bit different because here in Pullman, at least, we don't see slavery very often, right? I don't know if anybody here owns anybody else. I hope not. It's illegal. Just saying. But we live in a culture of rampant individualism, right? It's the belief that we don't need others to understand ourselves. We don't need other people to support us and carry us. We can, it's just like a child. I can do it myself. 
We live in a culture that still practices patriarchy and male supremacy. Can I just tell you, Heidi and I have been trying this, this co-pastoring thing for a while now, and the further we get into it, the harder we figure out how, how much we didn't have any clue what we were getting into. And I had no idea the ways in which I had been formed by the world around me that, that would cause me to act as though I was superior or better or stronger or smarter. And it comes out of me just, just by rote. I don't even realize it until Heidi says, hey, that wasn't, that, you know, that's not good. That's not fair. That's not, and I'm just living out of it. And, and so men, we'll, we'll just pretend that we're the king and not even realize it. It's not the flattening of God's kingdom that he's talking about. We live in a culture of sexual liberation. Now, that sounds like I'm being prudish, but what I'm saying is it's about the breakdown of our humanity, seeing ourselves and other people as objects for pleasure rather than seeing each other as human beings made in the image of Christ. We, we go to sexuality and pleasures as, as a substitute for actual connection. We live in a culture that still, still, still has racism alive and active in it. You'll be like, I'm not racist. You might not be, but other people are. It's still happening all around us. And then there's the digital hierarchies and social media where we create false images of ourselves or we, we go for the likes or the clicks, so we try to make things look better when we... When we uh, see somebody else who is less than us, we use like horrible language, idiot, uh, you know, stupid, dumb, whatever, loser, and we tear each other down or try to build each other up and we get these social hierarchies. These are the powers and principalities that are at work in our culture today and they influence how we live. So if we come to this text, which we're so familiar with, and we just see the flapping of demons, we only are addressing one cosmic power. But Paul says, look, no, there's powers, there's principalities, there's rulers, there's authorities. It's this whole hierarchy thing where there is this great big thing that's out there in the world. It is the air that we breathe, and it is influencing us, and it is creating power structures of which we are formed under, and it teaches us how we treat one another and how we live together as the new family of Jesus. This is turning into a great big advertisement for emotionally healthy relationships. <laughs> Because it's all about breaking those powers, understanding how we live in them and breaking them and loving each other well. So Paul sets up this image. There is a battle for the hearts, minds, souls, spirits of you individually and y'all. We got to remember coming into this passage, this is a y'all passage. This is not a you passage. You put on the full armor of God. It's y'all put on the full armor of God. Y'all are in a spiritual struggle together. So when you come to church on Sunday mornings and you're here right now, just look around this room. There are spiritual struggles going on with each person here in one way or another. We are under the powers and principalities of darkness. And Christ is wanting to set us free. He's wanting to set y'all free together in community. But Paul makes a really big point here that we miss because we put it out there in this picture of, of demonic forces and stuff. When we make it individual, it's very easy for us to say, oh, that person is now the source of my spiritual warfare. If, if Biden wasn't the president, then things would be different in this world. And so if we got to pray. We got to get that guy out of office. I actually heard, I, I was like, had my... Okay, so I listen to AM radio because I listen to the Mariners every now and then. And the AM radio came on when I got in my car. The Mariners game was over. And somebody was screaming about the Biden crime family. 
Okay, that's the kind of language I'm talking about. The Biden crime family. I mean, come on. I mean, he's not like the mafia. But anyway, we can say the same thing about Trump. We put the, we put the location of this spiritual warfare on an individual. But for Paul, the, the, the struggle is not against um, enemies of blood and flesh. He wants us to be aware that our enemy is never a person. Our enemy is not another human being. In the kingdom of God, we love every human being. There's powers and principalities and authority structures and things like that going on. But human beings are always, always, always beloved of God. The war we face is against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's not against the person. That is one of the things we just kind of gloss right over. So the way that we fight this war is not by tearing people down. It's not by, by, by ostracizing people or leaving people out of the kingdom of God or saying that they're unworthy or, or, or just so broken that they can't be loved. We fight this battle differently. Now again, imagine Paul sitting there in captivity, looking out the door, the Roman guard standing there. Every couple hours they change. You know, and he's like, hey, Lucius. And he's like, hi, Paul. And he's wearing all of his armor. And Paul gets this idea in his noggin. He's like, wait a minute. There's a spiritual war going on. We've got to be ready for it. Y'all got to be ready for it. So I want y'all, I want the church, not just you, but the church to put on the whole armor of God. And it's really fun because Paul is, he's like, he's an Old Testament Bible scholar, right? This guy knows his Bible in and out. He gets this idea, but it's not just his fresh idea. It's like the Holy Spirit just inspired him. It's like, you see the guard out there? Remember the book of Isaiah? In the book of Isaiah, God has put on armor. In Isaiah 11.5, and righteousness is a belt around his waist, and truthfulness a belt of his loins. Isaiah 49.2, Yahweh has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In Isaiah 59, 16 through 17, he says, with his own arm, he accomplished salvation for himself. God accomplished his own or the salvation that he wanted for his people by himself. And he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Why do I bring that up? Because the armor that Paul is talking about here, he's not just like, hey, Roman armor is a good idea. He's saying, I want the church, y'all, to literally put on God's armor. Just like King Saul and, and David, David puts on Saul's armor and it's too big. I can't, I can't fight in this. He's trying to wear the armor of a king. And in many ways, it's really uncomfortable for us as we begin to put on God's armor just like David. But God's armor is suited perfectly to his church. And Paul is saying, look, guys, God has got his own armor and he's offering it to you, the church. Put on what God wears. In other words, put on the likeness of Christ. Be like Jesus. And that's where our lovely little bracelets, WWJD, come from, right? It's trite. We're like, what would Jesus do? Oh, Jesus would be nice in this circumstance. That's not, not what that means. You say, no, live like Jesus lived. Put on God's armor, and it looks like righteousness, truth, faithfulness. Put these things on and be like Jesus. Now, you guys have heard all about the armor of God, I'm sure. I'm sure you've read this passage over and over. And, and many of us have, have prayed this over ourselves. 
right? Have you, I don't know if you've practiced that before. It's, it's a good prayer practice, and it's been very useful for many of us, where you sit and you just say, okay, Jesus, today I want to take up the full armor of God so that I can withstand the evil day. So I'm going to, to put on this breastplate of righteousness. God, make my life righteous. God, may my feet be covered in peace so that everywhere I go, I carry your gospel of peace. Not that I just make everything happy and hunky-dory, but I share your truth with people. God, may I take up the shield of faith and may my faith be strong today. And whatever comes at me, whatever gets thrown at me, I can just, you know, bat it away. That's a great way to pray. I encourage you to do it. But I want you to understand that Paul, again, is saying, y'all, y'all need this armor. What Paul is envisioning is not a single soldier standing there withstanding the arrows of the enemy. He is envisioning a troop of soldiers in a line, shields at ready, ready to face whatever is coming at them, which happens to be the ways of this world, the brokenness of this world, the pain, darkness, death, and destruction that gets thrown at us by the cosmic forces, that we would together stand strong. It's really interesting. The sword that uh, Paul talks about here, it is an actual a word for this sword, and it describes the Roman short sword, which is used in close combat, that the soldiers would be in a line, and they, the enemy is coming at them, and it's close, and they've got their, their swords raised, the, other, the, other, the enemy does, and, and out comes the short sword so that they can fight and poke and push away the enemy. And it only is effective in close quarters with a whole bunch of other people backing you up. The shield that he uses describes, it's really cool, it would go on the right arm, and the inside of that shield is shortened, and the outside of that shield is lengthened. So that when you stood side by side with somebody, when you were close to your buddy, you had an impenetrable wall. But if you got separated from your buddy, you got a little bit away, suddenly there was an opening for the enemy to get in. This is how Paul is describing God's armor. He's saying, it's, this isn't you just having a nice big shield and you having a nice big sword so that you can defend things. He's saying, no, y'all, you got to be together in this. You got to have a buddy or a lot of buddies. And your shields interlock. And as you stand firm, then the, the onslaught of the enemy, the cosmic forces and cosmic powers that are coming at you, this is not just throwing your prayers at heaven. This is supporting one another in the community of faith and not doing life alone. That is the invitation of God's armor, that together the church would put on the character of Jesus and stand firm with one another. Each piece of this armor would make an interesting sermon. We could talk about all kinds of things here. But I just wanted to leave you with this image. Think about your life right now. How isolated are you? I am horrible at allowing myself to be isolated. I'm horrible at feeling like, oh, I gotta do this on my own. I gotta, I gotta think this through on my own. I gotta fix this problem on my own. I've gotta, I've gotta help these people on my own and not trusting and relying on the people around me to, to bear me up and support me. And as I've watched people in this church, like as a pastor, just hit the wall, just struggle, just come up against pain and circumstances that were not planned, that were not thought through, and you look at it and you go, oh my gosh, this is nothing short of demonic. This is nothing short of evil, the evil in the air that we breathe. And I see them, and, and they're alone. The ones that are going to survive are those who will be open. The those who will come to the church and say, Can, I need you to support me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to care for me. You don't have to share everything. But you can't bear it alone. 
That is the image of the full armor of God, that we bear one another up as we seek to put on Christ. So I want you to think for a moment, and this is the closing question I have for you. How alone are you? How isolated are you? How are you allowing others to bear you up, to share your load, to stand when you can't stand, to have their shield interlocking with your shield, to allow their sword to be, to be flashed out when you need somebody to come to your defense? How alone are you as a Christian? I'm just gonna let you sit with that for a minute, and then we're gonna close. God, I'm reminded of an ancient wedding prayer. In the middle of it says, now there is no more loneliness. God, I pray that that would be true in the body of Christ. Now there will be no more loneliness. In this present age, God, we live in a world of isolation. It, it seeks to pull us apart, so we pick us off one by one. God, I pray that we would open our lives to one another, that we would stand firm against the wiles of the devil together. And that, God, there would be no more loneliness. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. I thank you that we are one in Christ, and I pray that we would stand firm, fasten the belt of truth around our waists, Take up the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of your word, and that we would stand together in the difficult days that we face now, in the good days ahead, in the hard days ahead, whatever may come, that we would be your children together. In Jesus' name, amen. I was just looking down the very last paragraph of this whole book. Paul says this so that you may know how I'm doing, Tychus will tell you everything. So Paul is opening himself up to the church. He's a dear brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. I am sending him to you, know, to, to you for this very purpose and to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. I hope that this sermon series has been an encouragement to you. Peace be to this whole community 
and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus, because Jesus loved you first. If you heard nothing else this morning, Jesus loves you. We love you too. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing the doxology to close. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Guests, please grab a, a gift on your way out and greet each other in the name of the Lord. Encourage one another. Stand with each other. We'll see you next week.